0: Welcome to the Better People Podcast. I'm Holly DePama, one of your hosts, and I'm joined today by Juliette Duprey, who is VP of People at Simul Media. Welcome, Juliette. Thank you. So nice to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you joining the, uh, taking the opportunity and taking the time to talk with us. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing about your, um, your experiences and what brought you to HR. You, um a super interesting background. <laughs> You're <a> ballerina.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a former ballerina. I so still take some classes now and then, but yeah, that is part of my career history. Technically, um, yeah, I, I guess it depends on how back, far back you want to go. But I'll just start from end of college. I had already started my professional career while I was in college. I did work full time while I was in school full time for undergrad, and in 2000. Let's see, what would it have been? 2004 is when I joined um, McGlinchey Stafford Law Firm, which I think goes by another name and has different uh, managing partners nowadays, down in New Orleans, where I went to school at Tulane and was a litigation paralegal, dealing in originally just product liability law uh, for major auto manufacturers, which was fascinating work. I worked for a wonderful, wonderful partner there, Gary A. Bear, who really taught me a lot about the the pursuit of perfection which i've carried with me through all of my work he was a tough cookie and um but that high high bar for our clients is something that like absolutely served me through the rest of my career and i think it's been a major um a major support to the work that i do now i started helping the labor Um, section with arbitrations um, for large retailers, um, you know, just random, you know, harassment suits or what have you. Um, So I started getting exposed to labor law for initially through the litigation lens, which is an interesting way to be introduced to it. Um, At some point, as some of you may recall, the major auto manufacturers, which were the bulk of the, the, the client work at the time, were going through some, some bankruptcies at some point in the 2000, gosh, what was the 2008 frame Oh, a lot of people were going through challenges. Gosh, that was a wild time. And I'm so grateful that my career didn't have any, any interruptions during it. Cause it was, it was another one of these moments where, you know, all the college grads were terrified that they, they weren't getting jobs and the auto manufacturers went through some reorgs. And so the firm said, well, we really want to keep you, but we don't need as much of that work. Also, we think you'd be great for re- as a recruiting director for our attorneys and our summer clerk program. So that was really the what I considered to be the, the, the moment that I sort of moved into HR. And um, won't surprise anyone to know, like the law firm world still struggles with uh, a lot of issues around like progressive hiring and things like that. So I was the recruiting director there for something like three years. Um, And worked very closely with the managing partners and um, the recruiting attorney and some good people there and and ran the summer clerk program. Um, But very focused on the recruiting side. Um, And I loved it. And I realized that I loved the work, but I didn't necessarily I didn't feel a love for the industry of law. Um, anymore, or for you know, and I kind of was interested in, I'd always been interested in technology. I'd wanted to get a software engineering degree, but my university Tulane closed that program as soon as I enrolled in undergrad. I know, I know. <laughs> years later, to come full circle on that, just as a funny aside, years later, they would have me as a consultant as they decided to, like an industry advisor rather, as they decided to reboot that program once I was on the other side of the fence, which was hilarious. Anyway. I'd already always been interested in tech, and the Economic Development Commission for Louisiana was working towards getting tech companies and video game companies into the state. And I ended up becoming the lead recruiter for a studio uh, from Gameloft that was coming into New Orleans. Gameloft, a lot of people are more familiar with uh, their uh, uh, sibling uh, company, Ubisoft, run by the Guillemots out of Paris. Um, French game company, very well known for Assassin's Creed and some other IPs.
0: So um, I'm so embarrassed and I said before, like I feel like our producer Ben should be interviewing you because I am, I, I I don't. I don't know anything about games, but I'm like loving to. the conversation. But keep going. So keep.
1: And I love that. Like you do play, you know, mobile games, which is most of where I spent my career. Gameloft is the mobile game side of the business, and um, and I think uh, I was actually playing one of their Assassin's Creed mobile games back in the day. When I, when I joined the, 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 the group there and eventually over the years made my way to their New York office and that's where my career kind of um, developed a little bit further. I did some other things, worked for a tech startup um, outside of the game space called Plated that was sort of like a Blue Apron HelloFresh competitor.
0: Oh, yeah. And they were on Shop Shop Tank.
1: That's right. they run on Shark Tank and run by two amazing, amazing human beings, Nick Taranto and Josh Hicks. Great, great people just like to their core, just good human beings. Um, that was really a pleasure. Met my mentor there that then SVP of people, um, Patrick Burlingham, who really was, uh, you know, we can talk a little bit about mentorship if, if that's interesting to the audience, too. Like that was really lovely. Uh, it's been lovely to have him throughout my career from there. Um and, uh, geez, after that, joined another sort of startup in the mobile games industry, Tilting Point, worked with some wonderful folks there, uh, a lot of us from the GameLoft studios and sort of had been pulled into that from some of the executives that were originally in my prior role and became the head of people for them. And then uh, found my way to esports, uh, which was a totally wild experience, really, really interesting par- being part of a sports team and then um, did a little bit of uh, time, as I'll call it, at TikTok, which was very interesting. And then found my way to Simul Media, where I am today. And uh, I do love this group. It's an exceptional group of people, for sure. So yeah, that
0: is- um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's quite a journey. And, um, you know, the startup world and people is, it's a really interesting um you know you have very different people challenges than established sort of growth oriented um environments so talk to me about about what the role is like as a head of chief people officer mm-hmm. at a startup where you're you know y- y- you can't do the work without the people
1: yeah Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's 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 complicated. I mean, just to take my own team as an example, every manager, including myself, is is generally going to be a player coach in a startup. You don't really have the luxury of having managers who just manage, and that's all they do is manage the workflow. Um, And you end up with a scope of control, interesting scope of control matters when it comes to how many direct reports are really reasonable for folks. You end up with title inflation issues as startups start very young and give people, you know, really advanced titles because they can't necessarily pay the same comp. And then someone like me comes in and we have to kind of gently, very carefully start to adjust and move in a direction of a little bit more reasonableness with those things. Um, You have uh, resource restrictions in terms of budget, in terms of what you can what you can do uh, certainly more so than in enterprise organizations I think um, there's a perception that resources are strapped in some larger orgs where um, if you come to the startup world, you really experience what it means to um to be pressed to maximize value of every single dollar that you spend, um, and be really creative, be really creative and make very, you know very uh Thoughtful decisions about what is the priority, what is most important for our resources, be they money or people, et cetera. Um, And a lot of change. You know, change management is sort of my passion area. And it is one of the most difficult, interesting pieces to me about business generally. Uh, And startups are places where really you see that constant evolution um, or, or, or you don't succeed. Um, I think it's you know to to put sort of my own personal opinion about business out there. I think you know we're definitely in a in a period where um, shorter life cycles of businesses, product ideas, everything um, are uh, the, the really the call of the day for better or worse. It's it's pretty well documented by by various business publications, and so that instigates especially in the startup world where we're following these trends and we're trying to get on top of them and be ahead of them that instigates a lot of other constant change like turnover like you know people wanting their careers you know constantly what's the next thing what's the next thing it's very interesting and different from an organization that's larger that's more legacy and that uh is more geared towards careers that are uh really long term um at you know one place and you know, to my own career is, 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 is a great point. You know, I started in a law firm. I was there for seven years. Um, and most of my roles since then have been, you know, around the two to three-year mark, um, some even shorter than that. Um, and that has a lot to do with the organizations in the startup world evolve so quickly that the organization that you join and the one that you create are very different and I think there is something to the old adage when change management of the agent of change doesn't survive the change. I think I would put a different spin on that because it's not really about not surviving. It's more about recognizing when the skills that you bring are not are needed elsewhere, you know, more than at your organization that you entered. But, um, yeah, that's of life in a very quick nutshell.
0: Yeah. Um, you talked about a couple of things um, that I want to. I want to hit upon, and um, you talked about. First of all, you framed your um, the beginning of your career um, working in a law firm as you learned the pursuit of perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, follow me here. I hope I I hope I can articulate this well. But oftentimes. In a startup environment, in the rapid change, quick, yes, you go with the 85% is good enough, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so balance for me, tell me how you balance that pursuit of perfection, which has sort of been your mantra, I'm going to call it your mantra, with the kind of uh, sort of environment that you're in yeah. that doesn't allow for... It doesn't really allow for perfection in many ways because it moves so quickly.
1: And that's, you know, I'm just going to stop and say that's one of the things I love about this podcast after having listened to so many is that you have such a, a great innate, or maybe learned, I'm not sure, ability to catch these things and like put two and two together and get to deeper layers of these things. It's totally true. Um, I I think that uh, another lesson that I learned, and I need to give credit where credit is due, um, I'm sure others have said this before, but the person who really I, I, I really picked this up from and learned to practice it with was my general counsel at Tilting Point, Sharin Malkani. She was an amazing colleague and, and leader to work with. And in the games industry, the only female executive leader I've ever worked with, like to be truly in the games development world. Sharin, um, who I think also ended up going into ad tech after after tilting point, she used to always say perfection is the enemy of good. And um I think it's 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 really is there is a tension there because I do believe in both things. I think I believe in the pursuit of perfection, but I also believe in recognizing that actual perfection is the enemy of good. You cannot, you cannot uh, move a fast moving business forward if you only hold to that standard. It's more nuanced than that. And um so you know, I'm sure my team members <laughs> might have their moments when they You know, I remember when I was working uh, to bring it back to your original point uh, with with Gary, there were days when I felt like, how can the standard be that high for the time we have, you know, this or that, the other? And learning that, I think what I learned uh, with him and what I try and teach my team is that you are capable of a lot higher quality bar than maybe you realize even with the restrictions, but yes, perfection to your point is not necessarily the actual expectation or goal. It's not really possible for any of us. Um, but how close can you reasonably get? You know, and um, in service of the the teams that we're supporting and recognizing all the effort that they're putting in, and making sure that we're really um, representing what they're doing and being an example to others and so forth. I mean, I think that's uh that's, that's really what's at the heart of it. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: And I like what you said about um your one of the things you do with your team is really help them achieve something and achieve more than they really had anticipated. And I yeah. think that that's the mark of uh, like of an exceptional leader and 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 people manager. I I say all the time um, we do. Uh, my co-host and I, Margaret and I, do a lot of leadership development work. And I say all the time, like managing people is the hardest thing to do. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm horrible at it, and I, I I don't. I stepped away from it. <laughs> Maybe was it was taken away from me. But um, but um, you know, in the startup world, and in a lot of not just startup world, but but uh, you know. I see it all the time, the player coach role. And when you're in a rapid change, a rapid developing environment and you're a player coach, and the formal learning for management and leadership might not have been priority mm-hmm. Tell me the role that that you play in in helping. Uh, sort of coach up new leaders and managers?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, another balancing act for sure. There's, It's always sort of a change intervention in and of itself. When someone like me is brought into a startup, it generally means they've reached another phase of their growth and development as a business. um, They're looking to sort of professionalize a bit more. Um, So there's an element of change intervention going on anytime I enter a space. And usually the first thing that happens is as will happen with, with many folks um, in such a position, you spend a lot of time talking to people and listening, a lot of listening and understanding where people are and what they're going through and how things are going and trying to diagnose uh, the barriers and the root cause of those barriers. Um, So when I usually enter a space is, you know, a business is when I kind of start taking stock of where the various managers are in their uh, journey of of learning to to better themselves and to get the most out of their people and to be good people as managers. Um, and you generally find there's some that have more, you know, natural skill than others. But I'm a big believer in management as something you can learn, and leadership is something you can learn. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of research out there to show that sure, anyone can have talents for anything naturally, but ultimately these are skills that can be taught. Um, and leaders are not born. That is one of the most, I think, harmful ideas and um, uh, erroneous aphorisms of business. Um, so, with that in mind, it, it's really a little bit of a custom approach once I get to know folks. And typically, I'm dealing with organizations where I might have you know a dozen top executive leaders and maybe you know two or three dozen managers all all in underneath them. So, it's not a situation where I can't personally get to know them all. And that's not necessarily feasible in larger organizations. But right. knowing that I can, you know that's something that obviously I spend time doing. and then it's it can be a very custom approach from there. Is it confidence? Is it, you know, is it their coaching ability? And you know, obviously, there are lots of resources for any specific skill that they need to brush up on. Sometimes it's just talking through with them. Um, what kind of manager they want to be and you know letting them sort of um, vent or share or come to their own conclusions on their own through talking with me about what the right thing to do is and how their approach needs to change. Um, sometimes it's getting other managers to give them um, you know candid feedback and I'm a big believer in radical candor. I've, I've rolled out training. Mm. On um, not just radical candor specifically, but feedback in general for managers and for staff here at Simon Media, um, trying to make sure that folks feel like they have those—they're starting to build those muscles, I would say. But for any given, you know, skill or element that I believe a manager would benefit from. Building, it really is a building thing. And that's something that I try and emphasize to the leaders as well, who sort of are like, oh, you're here. Okay. So like, can you just fix everybody and fix all the problems that we have? And that's a lot of times sure. the conversation, <laughs> right? Um, and I use the word problem very deliberately because that's how it's often couched. Um it's really about building a muscle. It does not happen overnight, you know, nothing happens overnight. You think it's an it's a it's a matter of practice practicing just like anything else, just like practicing chess or practicing ballet or practicing to get good at Dota 2, right? It's like, which is a game. I was going to say (laughs) something. Which is a game that requires enormous skill and speed and all these things. It's, if you practice it, you get better at it. If you practice feedback, if you practice, you know, good coaching question styles, you will get stronger at it. So that's that's kind of usually the thing. But the balancing act to all this, and I I feel like I'm, ram- I'm not rambling, but giving you a very long answer. The balancing act is that I also tell my team members, you can't make anybody do anything. I'm not here to make any manager do a thing or make any manager try a different style or make any manager. You know, Ultimately, I do live by, for better or worse, the idea that... Um, folks will make their bed and they will have to live in it. And if you're a manager that I'm working with or you know a team member I'm working with who is just not open to change and you don't have any change readiness and you're not which is not something I see very often but it does I wouldn't happen. think so, yeah. It does happen. Um you know, I will on occasion let them let them proceed with their plan and see where it goes and then come back in and say okay, so this is this is action, this is consequence like now how do you feel about that choice you know does it still feel like it was the right path right. because sometimes and this i'll i'll be totally honest with you it most often happens at the highest executive level because of that fallacy of what got you here they think we'll get them to the next level and we know the famous phrase on that which i do believe in so yeah there's a little bit of like maybe hubris um that okay you know, I'm not going to necessarily be able to break through that easily. And some folks I find I need to let them stumble. And then I try to be there to pick them back up and say, okay. Well,
0: you know, you talk about, you know, um, you're talking about uh, feedback Mm -hmm. and uh, there's so much talk about feedback in this the 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 world of 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 business and management and leadership and it's good it's bad it's this it's it's that i
1: feed I have forward now everyone's talking about feed forward yeah which i i'm not even gonna say i'm not even gonna say like that's
0: embarrassing but <laughs> um um uh yeah, you get it <laughs>
1: what's that you get it <laughs>
0: I worked at a place for a little while. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, um, it was one of those places that was a horrible culture fit for me. <laughs> and and it's painful, right? Those environments are, it is, gut- like, every day you're like,
1: oh, my God. you are just a bundle of cortisol and unhappy hormones and stress.
0: Oh, awful. Yeah. And they had a value that was... Um, Straight talk, which meant that you said the the what the 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 interaction was straight talk, Juliet. Oh boy, which meant I can say anything I want to to yeah. you. Common, common misperception of feedback. Yeah, I'm like, uh, like I, I. I, I'm going to share it. So I said, it was a bad fit. I did a great job because I do a good job where I, you know, that, you know you do, you do yeah. a good job. And, and at the end of um, at the end of a cycle, um, we were absent a, a leader in our group. And I had, I really wanted to work for this organization. It was like, I, it was just like they were doing good in the world and mm. really wanted to work there. And I was like, Not really, um, not really, uh, the culture was beginning to change, but there was some, uh, anyway, I suggested that I could lead the group. And my boss said, straight talk? And I said, sure. And he said, I'll see you as a leader. Oh. It's like, Oh my God, I, 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 rather than, you know, talking to me about it was, wow. and it gets better. So I went home and I was like, and I said, okay, I said, give me a little time, but I'll find a new job. Mm-hmm. And, um, the next day, um, he he called me because so it was all open office so we he called me into a conference room and uh and I'm really short and he's was very big. So again, it was very intimidating and I was like, yes like did you change your mind because I'm not changing my mind right like and he's like uh so yesterday's conversation was a little awkward and I was like it it actually wasn't like that's okay like I said just give me a little time he goes I just want to make sure that you understood. I don't see you as a leader here, and I said, "Listen, <laughs> you were really clear yesterday. Today is just patronizing." So I'm going to go.
1: Like, <laughs> like it was a pl- that was the culture of feedback. Not that so patronizing. That's not. Yeah. That's not even. Yeah, yeah. That's not even feedback. You know, and well, since we have this lovely platform today, I I will just say for anyone who's not familiar a lot of people like to use the phrase radical candor when they have no they've never trained on it they have no idea what it means and it means to challenge directly yes but to care personally as well and if you don't care personally you have no idea what radical candor really is and i've had people in conversations with other executives and leaders tell me and i i wonder if this resonates with you oh yeah don't steve jobs and elon musk they they practice radical candor all the time. And I say, no, they, they practice obnoxious aggression, which is on the, the four box for that, uh, for that, uh, that's one of the first things you learn is that caring personally about the other person and their development and their growth and their future, uh, the way you would a friend, a colleague, a family member, the way you should, that's what it's really about. And, um, so that's, (laughs) yeah for anyone know, who's like listening to this it doesn't have right. the context, Like you can't. You cannot
0: get It is has to be based in or you can but yeah but you're not
1: practicing that's not radical candor
0: right and and you know um i i um in in addition to hosting a podcast i listen to far too many and i annoy most people with my I heard on a podcast and, um, <laughs> and, and really I listen to nerdy ones. I listen to goofy, whatever, nice. but one of my favorite podcasts, um, is, um, the Jocko podcast and it's Jocko Willink and he is a former Navy SEAL officer and he, um, wrote a book, extreme ownership, and he does a lot of leadership coaching. And um they talk in the military about and I find military leadership fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating. I have never served, I, no one in my family is really like, oh wow. So I, I'm not um from
1: like so military already, background.
0: World but the, the leadership style mm-hmm. is they say um uh you have to love your team. It's not enough to care deeply. You have to love your team because you're going to be potentially in situations where it's life or death. Life or death. Mm-hmm. And taking that around, caring about the
1: people you work with, it's it's a complete game changer. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I think it's very interesting to me. I, I, that's it's so funny because people are very familiar with the command and control management style. Who, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with management science, history, and all that stuff. And you don't necessarily, people don't necessarily associate that with it. But I, I have had members of the military in my family, and I, I'm, I'm aware of that. And I think you're, you're completely right that for all the, uh, the, the misalignment that military style has to corporate world. There's also some pieces we ha- we could stand to learn from it. And that's absolutely one of them. And yeah, I mean, when you think about, you know, giving feedback to someone the way you would a friend, it's completely different. Um, right. yeah. Let alone thinking about them like family or someone that you really deeply love and care about. Um, yeah. Wanting them to succeed makes all the difference in the world. So Again, huge fan of actual radical candor versus obnoxious aggression or some of these other categories that people love to use. I also think there's a lot more to feedback than just that, you know, that concept. There's there's a lot of other pieces of the puzzle that are worth, you know, helping managers to understand um, as a bigger part of all of it, such as the um uh, psychological and biological things that happen when someone feels threatened, or someone's in a feedback situation, and you know the timing of that, the you know what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the body, the hormones that are released, the time that that takes, you know what that can mean to people, how you that might change your approach. There's so much there that is worth learning. Um, I think if if you're a manager. You will end up in a situation where you need to have, uh, you know, be giving feedback all the time, positive and negative, and everything in between. And I, some people don't like to say negative, but I just want to be honest. I think you sure have. You're right. It. You're right. They
0: all the people say all all the feedback's positive. It's a gift. But you know, yeah. sometimes you're trying to correct something that needs to be corrected, and it's.
1: Yes. I it's a gift sure but it's still negative feedback
0: <laughs> like, right I'm still telling you that you need to change the way you're doing something
1: exactly exactly and that's hard for people to hear and I think recognizing that most people you know if you if you've done even a halfway decent job of hiring most people you've hired want to do a good job so it's it's a, it's a personal defeat and it's it's really um upsetting on a personal level to someone when they realize that they they haven't been been you know as awesome as they they had hoped to be, you know, like As they're retro- trying to be As they're right? trying to be genuinely trying to be. a lot of people, you know, genuinely, but it also it, it's tough. So so many layers to that. but yeah, that's a big yeah. Part it, man.
0: and I think that this dovetails really well into the conversation around mentorship. and you spoke oh. about your mentor and um yes. certainly a role of a mentor is to, help shape and give feedback and all those kinds of things. So talk to me about um about you know uh your mentor and what what this has meant.
1: So I got extremely lucky with Patrick, um Patrick Burlingham when I joined Plated because he was um a trained executive coach. And he is not only a trained executive coach, he actually trains other executive coaches to be executive coaches. And he has a number of frameworks and tools at his disposal. And I would argue probably some natural gift for communication and thinking in those ways as well. Every time I'm in a room with him or have a conversation with him, I just feel like I learned so much and I learned so much about myself and... Um, it was really a pleasure to to work under him and to learn from him. And after we both ended up leaving Clayton pretty much at the same time for independent reasons. but we, we stayed in touch. I joined there in 2015. So we've known each other for a while. Um, I call him anytime I have a career question or, you know, want to talk through something, he's been an unbelievably supportive and encouraging. And he has shared so much of himself with me. He's been extremely vulnerable and shared a lot about his life and what he's been through and um just you know his journey to where he is now, which is a self-employed and owning his own business and executive coaching and just doing things that really speak to him on a you know a, a deeper level, which is like a huge uh, a, a huge, hugely influential impact to someone like me looking at their career, trying to decide what kind of life do I want? Because he really exemplifies that and embodies that thinking. And so that's, that's really it. I mean, having someone to sort of like really listen and care about you, who's also vulnerably able to share about their life and, you know, who's, a, a few steps ahead of you for sure, you know, in terms of like the the career ladder, the career experience that might interest you or be you know relevant to your world, and and so you can you can sort of be guided in those things. Just absolutely amazing. I got extremely lucky. I'd never had anything like that before. Um, I'd never had bosses express any real interest in my career or what's going on with me, or let alone share about themselves and their vulnerabilities and their aspirations. Like. No. So that's been wonderful. And uh, yeah, I just feel very lucky. And I think it's very hard to find that. I actually spent a period of time trying to find that. I reached out to executives back before I was at that level at a number of entertainment companies around New York. And I was like trying to do coffee lunches. And I wasn't looking for anything, just a little bit of time, just someone to talk to and to make a connection with someone above me in the industry. And it was really tough. I mean, it's tough anywhere. I think in Manhattan, it's extra tough. And I ended up um, having coffee with uh, one of the HR leaders at HBO and um, thought I had sort of found a mentor and then (laughs) they mysteriously disappeared (laughs) from that business and i never heard from the guy. i don't know what happened there so it's like really tr- it's it's tough like i i i think i also value that relationship because they are they are hard to come by that is yeah. very unusual
0: yeah do um do you mentor anyone
1: um so i have been very lucky to have some really special direct reports that i definitely keep very close touch with uh, one of them who was um came on originally as an intern uh at Tilting Point. Anna Maria Voidko is a brilliant, brilliant woman and um has been just amazing to watch her grow as a person um through that time. She's now a you know a senior leader of her own and um Uh, was able to sort of like take a sabbatical and go tour the world. And so that's been really neat. It's been wonderful to see her sort of reward herself after years of just really just learning, learning, putting everything she had into becoming the best HR professional she could be. so, um, I, you know, I hope she wouldn't mind me considering her, uh, a mentee of mine. I adore her and, um, I always, you know, do my absolute best to be there for her when she needs something and to check in on her regularly and, you know, you know, what's new and like, how, how is the career and like try and give sound advice if it's, if it's, if it's warranted. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So last question, um, a lot of our listeners are, you know, aspiring uh, HR professionals who are growing their careers and and in various stages of their careers, what what is your um, what is your piece of advice um, that you would give to somebody listening who is interested in um, becoming a chief people officer or a VP of people or something?
1: It's really simple. It's never stop learning, and this just this is what worked for me and what I believe has built the skills and uh goodie bag of information that I keep in my brain that I can draw from when I need it because there's so many situations that you can't plan for. So the more tools you have at your disposal, the more connections you can make between all the pieces of information, the better. I was obsessed with learning about the profession and learning everything that I could about, you know, not just HR and it's a little vacuum, but business and change management and diversity equity inclusion belonging representation all these topics everything that i could get my hands on and anything that i could honestly afford you know i went back and got my masters um but for the 10 year span between my undergrad and masters i never stopped going to every everything i could get my hands on reading books just trying to never Uh, never stop the momentum of bettering myself as a professional. And that's maybe a boring answer, like read a lot of books, go to seminars, go to conferences, talk to people, read tons of articles. There's so much on the internet. Some of it's bad, but you can tell what's good. A lot of it's on Harvard Business Review. Some of it's not. (laughs) Some of that stuff is also bad and old fashioned. But, you know, like there's so much out there. Just don't rest on your laurels. I, you know, I, I know it takes a certain, you know, persona, maybe personality to want to make that time. Maybe I'm just, you know, lucky or unlucky that that's the personality I have. So I never want to impose on someone else that expectation if that's just not who they are. But I put a lot of time into that and I, I do credit the effort uh, with, with a lot of, you know, where I am today.
0: Yeah. Success uh, doesn't come without effort. And certainly um, I I really appreciate that, the notion to not stop learning and particularly to learn about business, not just about don't don't cocoon and and say, why doesn't someone listen to me? It's learn how to influence and how to um, really understand the business you're in. And with that, Juliet, I have uh, really enjoyed our conversation. I wish you all the
1: best, and um, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, I'm so grateful to be part of this program. It's a wonderful podcast. If anyone out there is listening, go back and listen to all the other ones. They're amazing. Some amazing guests. I'm super honored. Thank you so much. This went very quickly, actually. Out awesome. of Thank you, Thanks. Juliet. Thank you for listening.
0: We hope you got a ton of value out of this episode.
1: Before we go, we want to thank the sponsor of our show, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, more commonly referred to as MEA. MEA provides human resources services to hundreds of businesses across numerous industries every day, bridging gaps that restrain innovation and growth.
0: If you need support around people issues, reach out to MEainfo.org. Better people, better outcomes.